Hello, my name is Anna, and if you're into scary stories and creepy real-life happenings, then I think you will love my podcast. Let me tell you a scary story. Join me every week as I read to you stories of the paranormal that actually happen to ordinary people. These are things that can't be explained and don't always make much sense, and they are sure to intrigue and to give you the shivers. So join me on your favourite podcast listening platform and let me tell you a scary story. Welcome to episode 61, New Mexico. New Mexico. Tonight we're going to discuss the DUMB, Dumb Dulce Underground Military Base. Yes. And then we're going to get into the sick, sick, sick tale of David Parker Ray, the toy box killer. Yeah, I've been interested in hearing about that. I keep having a hard time with his name because I keep wanting to call him David Ray Parker after Ray Parker. <laughs> That's not who he is at all. Yeah. Uh, then also we are going to have a very special uh, personal story. Yes. We have, we had a, so speaking of which, tonight's main topic, David Ray Parker, did it again, David Parker Ray, is... Uh, <laughs> that stays in. <laughs> That's, yeah, that stays in. Uh, it's it's a fan request. Yes. So we had someone reach out to us on Facebook and said, hey, uh, can you cover David Parker Ray? And then he went on to say that he knew one of the accomplices, Roy Yancey, and uh, said that he knew him in high school. And even since then, he was a weird person. Uh, so we are going to have him on and give us his um, account, his uh, knowledge, and I guess his interactions with Mr. Roy Yancey. That would be very cool. One of the uh, accomplices to David Parker Ray. So stick around for that at the end of the show. But otherwise, uh, James is getting closer to Christmas. Actually, by the time this comes out, it'll be Christmas. It should be, yeah. Yeah. We're close. But uh, it's still 90 fucking degrees in Houston. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I had to go well, to Lowe's the other night because I had to get some outdoor fogger because I walked into my, my uh, archway at the front of the house and it was swarming with mosquitoes. And I'm like, really? It, it, yeah, it was mosquitoes wow. everywhere. I'm like, it is middle of December and I got to spray my damn yard for mosquitoes. Can a brother get some cold weather? Is that Seriously, too much to ask for? Santa's going to pass us by because it's too hot out here. He's like, I ain't landing down there. No, it's I, hot. No, I'd rather go to Australia. That's right. So, all right. Well, why don't we go ahead and get started with your uh, uh, topic because I love the story of Dulce. Yeah, and so, I I feel dumb because I well, and no 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 pun intended to your uh, initial but request. Oh, but very nice. Yeah, I uh, had never heard of this. Okay, well, I'm excited to hear what so you got. So, what was weird about it because you know, um, you know, Mexico is all about Roswell. You know? Yes. So, yeah, let it's me get aliens. into it. Yeah. Let's, let's roll with let's it. Do it. The state of New Mexico is right with talk of aliens, and after all, you know, because the UFO capital is located in Roswell, 
Now we also, and yeah, because we also our last episode on on, on Mexico was on like three Alamo Gordo abductions. Abductions, so yes. It's aliens Alien are all over that place. activity. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't mean to do the same thing, but I, I never heard of this. That's all right. So I had to roll with it. And all that said, today's point of interest takes us to the mountainous regions near the Colorado border. Yes, I love Colorado. Yes. To a small town named Dulce. It is located on the Hikuria Apache Reservation and is the source of a persistent urban legend. A cool one at that. A very cool one. Deep under the Archuleta Mesa, it is rumored that there exists a secret, but not too secret. If I, you know, if I was able to find something about it, it ain't that secret. <laughs> yeah. Joint military and alien base. Is it possible that during the Roswell crash era, there may have been other cases of recovered alien aircraft or cooperation between alien races and our arrogant government? Government? The government. In 1948, there was what was referred to as the Aztec UFO incident, which I'd also never heard of, Mm -hmm. some 80 miles west of Dulce. Now, is it possible that another alien spacecraft was recovered? Because I believe it was a crash. Yes, it was. It was recovered. Yep. Could it be this is where the legend of the base was started? Perhaps it was already being developed as a research facility due to the Roswell incident. We, of course, can only speculate on this particular site. Now, places like Area 51 is well known, and we know it is there, but is it possible 51 is used as a decoy to distract from the other sites or bases that may have been developed? Very possible. I think so, because I've heard of, you know, everybody's heard of 51, but I've Mm -hmm. never heard of this. Right. I think that's very cool. Now, this may sound a tad far-fetched to some, but in my opinion, I believe it to be entirely possible. Put one in plain sight to divert our eyes, perhaps. Uh, Probably, yep, yep. Well, the residents of this small community of 2,700 or so people claim to have photographed flying saucers and other identified flying objects in the area and in the nearby neighboring mountains. Uh there is a ton of stuff on this. Mm-hmm. I, I opened up a can of worms, but I'm only <laughs> going to do a few examples as we go through the story here. But Okay, go for it. It was awesome. They also have reported heavy activity of low-flying military aircraft in the area, which I also didn't know because there's not much down there military-wise. Mm, no, there's not. Since 1947, New Mexicans have reported hundreds of sightings, so much so that the Roswell industry established a museum and annual festival which draws thousands every year. I am guessing the residents of Dulce don't believe Roswell, which is over 300 miles south of them, deserves to hog all of the credit. (laughs) In an excerpt from an article printed in the Santa Fe, New Mexican, one resident said, the whole town of Dulce, I don't think he sounds like that. No, you need more like um, more of a twang there. Yep. The whole town of Dulce, whoever you want to talk to, they'll tell you what they've seen. A lot of them, said 78-year-old Geraldine Julian, who claims to have seen multiple UFOs and other strange activities starting in the 1960s. Wow. It's not just a fairy tale, Julian insisted. All the things are true, and I believe every last one of them, too, because I've seen it myself. I seen it. I seen it. Julian swears she saw a, quote, big spaceship hovering above her property just outside of town. Neat. The bottom part was flat, but on top there was a dome. She said while resting near a blocked-off bridge where the alleged UFO flew over, there was movement inside, Hmm. end quote. Interesting. Another resident has claims as well. In 1979, businessman Paul Benowitz, 
Benowitz was convinced that he was picking up electronic communications from the alien spacecraft, and after further investigations, he claims he discovered a secret underground base near the town of Dulce where the signals were coming from. Very cool. Very cool. According to the Top Fives, a YouTube channel that ranked the Dulce base the second most mysterious and highly forbidden place on the planet. That sucks because I had no idea. What was <laughs> what was number one? I have no idea. Oh, we got to figure that out. Huh. Yep. I'll look that up. Okay. His results excited the UFO community, and by 1990, well-known ufologist John Lear also claims he had proof that the base existed. And the theories have been going on ever since. Mm. According to the report, which has received more than 1.5 million views on YouTube. Nice. Nice. Very nice. That's a lot, yeah. Yeah, and I have to say, personally, I believe in the existence of these aliens and other ships. We've talked about UFOs before on this. Oh, yeah. Quite a bit. And I believe highly in them. And as I have stated before, I strongly insist that the government harbors this notion that they have a solemn and exclusive right to the information and the technology that has been supposedly recovered. Good thing is the residents of the area are a fountain of information on sightings and have been able to capitalize on the legend. Nice. Good for them. Yeah, hell yeah. Good for them. Make them money. That's right. I mean, I was looking at they got tons of stores. It's like the Devil's Tower place. They got all the Close Encounters crap and everything. It's just wherever you go. Yeah. (laughs) So. Many residents from store owners, casino goers, and even state troopers have witnessed these craft, some lucky enough to photograph them. But there are some who are afraid to tell their story or at least have their name given. Another excerpt from the article reads as such. I took this picture about 3 o'clock in the morning. A man who works in the tribal government. See, I could say government when it comes to tribal government. It's a government. Tribal government. Public Safety Division said Wednesday while displaying a grainy photo on his phone. Oh, God. That shows several balls of light suspended in the air. See, first of all, I hate UFO photography. Why is yeah. it every time a UFO is spotted, somebody grabs the worst camera possible to film it? Same with the Bigfoot. I know. It's ridiculous. It's always blurry. Well, the man who declined to give his name for fear of losing his job also has two photos taken in broad daylight that appear to show one and then two UFOs floating in the clouds. Very cool. Yeah. The man declined to share his photos, which I think sucks. He should have done that. Give it to the world, man. Yeah. The way the government is, the way things are, I don't want it to come back. (laughs) I don't want it to come back on me, he said. I don't blame him. No, I don't blame him for that. Yeah, okay. Plus, I'm a public safety employee, cop. I'm not even supposed to be talking about this because of my job. He obviously hasn't read the history because, as we've talked about before, there are plenty of cops who have seen UFOs and talked about them. Plenty of cops. Now, I will say this. Uh, When it gets dark in that region, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like I know in Colorado, same thing, but it's generally the same geographic reason. Reason? Reason. Reason. The same geographical region. Okay. Uh, when it gets pitch black, you can really, really see the stars, but you can also see satellites. I've seen that. Tons yeah. of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can see them visible as all hell, man. It's great. Yeah. But, so, you know, sometimes maybe they get mistaken. Could be. But then again, in some of these cases, what I've been reading, I, I doubt they're going to mix it up. Sometimes they've lived there long enough. They know what a satellite is and Indeed. can, you know, distinguish it from a unidentified flying object. So. True that. All right, road warriors. 
We find there is more to New Mexico UFO lore than just Roswell and, you know, Nevada's Area 51, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. This is your opportunity to visit an area that is not government controlled Mm -hmm. and meet some really good folks who will probably be more than happy to share a story with you. So head on out west, punch Dulce in your GPS, and take a chance. After all, our persistence and curiosity will one day prevail, and I think the truth will come out. And while you're at it, why don't you visit the Players Sports Bar and Grill? No, they're not sponsoring the show, <laughs> but I found this little this little excerpt that was pretty funny. Okay. A local gathering spot that sells a Sasquatch burger. Yummy. An enormous hamburger with two pounds of beef, six strips of bacon, and four slices of cheese. Okay. Between bread and the shape of a Bigfoot. Awesome. An actual foot. I saw foot a that. picture. It's it's not like the the whole body. It's this foot. It's just like the foot cast, it's right? It's the foot cast. Yeah. yeah. Sign me up, dude. <laughs> now, you may or may not see a UFO, but how can you pass up on that burger? You know, travel safe, keep your eyes open, and they are out there. You just have to go look for yourself. So, would that burger be a, the first or only actual legitimate foot long sandwich? But don't bump. I'll be here all night, folks. Thank you. <laughs> I think I'll bring my symbol with me next time. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. I love hearing about Dulce. Every time, some it doesn't matter what, how many times I've heard about it, and if I come across a podcast that is, is talking about it, I hit play and sit back. I just love to hear about Dulce. Well, that's why I feel goofy. Well, I, I at least hope some of the people that are listening to this have never heard of the place like me. First because, time for everything, man. That, hey. That's yeah. why I like doing this show, man. I yeah. learn about all kinds of stuff I've never heard about before. Yeah. So that's great. I, I didn't know that they were called dumbs. Dumbs. <laughs> Deep underground military bases. Dumb. Dumbs. Yeah. Yep. That's that's a cool name. I mean That is awesome. I mean, because you know, what what we were in the military, so we uh we know that military intelligence is a, a oxymoron. Yep. And the philosophy of the military is hurry up and wait that is true so it does. and, and let's, let's put it this way too you know the government is so secretive you can drive through kansas and nebraska and all mm-hmm. these places and you will drive right past missile silos that you have oh, no yeah. idea or anywhere mm-hmm. you know you have no idea there's miles of tunnel underneath this this uh you see all these 18 wheelers going across they're not all carrying groceries nope some are or carrying, chickens some are carrying an alien pathogen or you know, God knows what. Yeah, they're carrying Bigfoot. But what better? What better disguise than normal transportation? Because nobody yeah. else second guess a, an eighteen wheeler. No, I mean, how many times have you gone down the road or on a trip and you just ignore them because it looks like it's just the same old eighteen mm-hmm. wheeler you've seen a million times. You know, you know? That's, that's good. Same, same with the railway. <laughs> they, they, you you know, hit a railroad track and you hit, see a train and you see what looks like oil, oil containers or whatever. You're like, yep. it just could be oil, but. Who knows? It could be aliens. It could be, you and know. Like I said, yeah, and the stories I shared are just a small handful. Oh, yeah. There were a ton of stories. In Mexico but especially, we've yeah. only got about a half hour, so we don't want to run it ragged. So. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot that we could probably go into at another episode, too. Maybe so. Yeah. All right, man, well, let's take a break, and then let's get into um, David Parker Ray. Let's get into Mr. Ray Parker. I mean, David. <laughs> Ray Parker Jr. Ray Parker. Yeah, I'm kidding. Who you going to call?
David Parker Ray was an American criminal sexual sadist and a suspected serial killer who was also known as a toy box killer. Wow. They say suspected. We sure, we sure shifted some gears, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, <laughs> we, we go went from a cool UFO story to a... To a sick son of a bitch. Aye. Now, they say suspected serial killer because although no bodies were found, he was accused by his accomplices of killing several women and suspected by the police to have murdered as many as 60 women from Arizona and New Mexico while living in Elephant Butte, New Mexico. Mm. Now, I'm going to be interested in hear if he pays for any of this. Not a single body was found. Yeah. But he made tons, tons of tapes of his torture. Oh, brother. Yeah. So, David Parker Ray was born in Belen, I hope I'm saying that right, Belen, New Mexico in 1939. He lived, I'm going to call him either, at this point forward, I'm going to call him either David mm-hmm. or DPR. There you go. Just to, so I don't have to keep saying David Parker Ray. That's too much. DPR, <laughs> yeah, it is. Because you're going to say Ray Parker at least two or three times. I am, and I'm going to leave it in because it's funny. <laughs> he made a great song and then killed a bunch of women. So, DPR lived with his grandfather after his parents divorced as his father didn't want to raise him and refused to give his mother custody. His father was a real big piece of mm-hmm. shit. His father would visit, but during the visits, he was physically abusive to David and would often show him magazines featuring extreme bondage porn. Oh, real, that's lovely. Real winner. Beat yeah. your child and show him porn. Great. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, David's grandfather raised him in an oppressively strict Christian fundamentalist environment. Misbehavior of any kind was met with violent beatings. A friend of David's would later describe his terror of his friend's David's grandfather, saying, quote, His grandfather was very, very strict. He came from the old school where you had to be tough to survive. If his grandfather wanted David to do something, he'd jump. Maybe in today's terms, he was abusive, but we called it being strict. Yeah. So he went from his father being abusive and shown in porn to his grandfather being a fundamentalist nut and beating him just for not doing anything he said. So he had at both ends, unfortunately. This guy didn't have a chance. Well, that's a little bit. Old. Yeah, that's 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 overkill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. An extreme for. Yeah. For a young kid who, whose home life has shifted completely. And yeah. Then, yeah, he was bullied at school relentlessly for being shy around girls. The bullying and his own insecurities would lead David to drugs and alcohol during his teenage years. And this was also when he discovered his interest in the sexual fantasies of rape and torture of women. Mm which were, I'm sure, spurred on by his father's showing up. Probably so, you think? Mm-hmm. After high school, he joined the Army and received an honorable discharge. Shit. He was married. I hate f- that. I, well, you know. They, we're both Army vets, man. Yeah. I hate when somebody's, you know, in you know, any branch of the military right. is defamed by some jackass. But it happens all the time, unfortunately. That is true, they, but they, still. You know, at least... Maybe back then when they didn't do, like, psyche valves. Yeah. But, yeah, unfortunately, and especially, I think it was, like, in the 40s or 50s that he was in, they, they probably needed the numbers. So, mm-hmm. recruiting was an all-time high. True that. Uh, he was married and divorced four times. So, four women <laughs> fell in love with this fucker. And had two children, one of whom, a daughter, Jesse Ray, would become an accomplice to his crimes. Mm-hmm. Now, police believe his crimes began sometime in 1955 after he constructed what he called his toy box. David spent a total of $100,000 creating the torture chamber. He purchased a trailer truck, soundproofed it, and equipped it with all his quote-unquote friends. His friends were whips, chains, pulleys, straps, clamps, leg spreader bars, surgical blades, and saws. He hung up a handmade sign inside that read, Satan's Den. Lovely. So, what a wonderful, what a wonderful guy! So the complete opposite of the trailer from Ghost Lab. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. 
This inside also contained detailed diagrams drawn by David himself, showing different methods and techniques for inflicting pain. He also had a homemade generator he used in the torture chamber. There was a mirror mounted to the ceiling above the table in the middle of the room. There was also a camera mounted to the ceiling to record the torture sessions, and there were hundreds of videotapes. Wow. That sounds like some law-abiding citizenship. It's it's not that cool. Law-abiding citizenship was a good-ass movie. That was a great movie, yeah, but, yeah, this, but this, you know this, what I mean. The I know whole what you mean, cutting up when he cut that dude up. Yes, yeah. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. David's main MO was to pose as a cop and arrest a soon-to-be victim. Once handcuffed, he would, drag, he would drug the women and take them to the trailer. He also frequented bars, and once he found a woman he liked, he would often drug their drinks and pretend they were drunk and would offer them offer to escort them home, only to drug them more and take them to the trailer. Ugh. After being chained to the table, the women would come to, to a cassette tape being played of David speaking to them and telling them all about what was going to happen to them while he held them prisoner. So uh, somebody, so all the tapes in the in the case have been destroyed. All the mm-hmm. uh, cassette tapes and audio tape or videotapes, all of them. There are pictures still online of the torture chamber itself. Mm-hmm. I think there's a video taken also that the FBI took of the chamber itself. But somebody found a transcript of the cassette tape that would play to these women when they came to. Wow. So here's an excerpt from the tape. Great. Hello there, bitch. Are you comfortable now? I doubt it. Wrists and ankles chained, gagged, probably blindfolded. You are disoriented and scared, too, I would imagine. Perfectly normal under the circumstances. For a little while, at least, you need to get your shit together and listen to this tape. It is very relevant to your situation. I'm going to tell you in detail why you've been kidnapped, what's going to happen to you, and how long you'll be here. I don't know the details of your capture, because this tape is being created July 23rd, 1993, as a general advisory tape for future female captives. The information I'm going to give you is based on my experience dealing with captives over the period of several years. If, at a future date, there are any major changes to our procedures, the tape will be upgraded. Now, you are obviously here against your will, totally helpless, don't know where you're at, don't know what's going to happen to you. You are very scared or very pissed off. I'm sure you've already tried to get your wrists and ankles loose, and no, you can't. Now you're just waiting to see what's going to happen next. You probably think you're going to be raped, and you're fucking sure right about that. Our primary interest is in what's in between your legs. You'll be raped thoroughly and repeatedly in every hole you've got. Because, basically, you've been snatched and brought here for us to train and use as a sex slave. Sound kind of far out? Well, I suppose it is to the uninitiated, but we do it all the time. It's going to take a lot of adjustment on your part, and you're not going to like it a fucking bit. But I don't give a big rat's ass about that. It's not like you're going to have any choice about the matter. You've been taken by force, and you're going to be kept and used by force. What all this amounts to is you're going to be kept naked and chained up like an animal, to be used and abused any time we want to, any way we want to. You're going to be kept drugged a couple of days while I play with your mind. By the time I get through brainwashing you, you're not going to remember a fucking thing about this little adventure. You won't remember this place, us, or what has happened to you. There won't be any DNA evidence because you'll be bathed and both holes between your legs will be thoroughly flushed out. You'll be dressed, sedated, and turned loose on some country road, bruised, <laughs> sore all over, but nothing that won't heal up in a week or two. The thought of being brainwashed might not be appealing to you, but we've been doing it a long time and it works. And it's the lesser of two evils. 
I'm sure that you would prefer that in lieu of being strangled or having your throat cut, which he did both. I want to punch this son of a bitch. Okay, undoubtedly somebody's going to be looking for you. There may or may not be a missing persons report, but nobody's going to look for you here. They don't have any idea where you're at. You don't even know where you're at. We're always careful about that. There are not going to be any knights in shining armor coming to rescue you. You are strictly on your own, and under the circumstances, I bet that is a scary thought. Now, that's just an excerpt. There is, it was two tapes, or one tape, but it's both sides. The transcript is like fucking eight pages long. Yeah, I had to bite my tongue. I wanted you to get through that letter mm-hmm. and without interrupting. Yeah. So so it could be more, you know. Because, man, it, it was, I was like, I am not going to read this whole thing. Because the whole thing is probably like a good half hour. And some grabs, some excerpts. Just and kinda, like you said, it played it on a loop. Right. And, and kind of just lay down the basic of what this guy was all about. Yeah. Which I think that did. David then met and started dating a woman by the name of Cindy Hindi. Terrible name. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Sandy Handy. Yep. Who became an accomplice to his deviancy, even raping women while he watched. He'd rather two more accomplices, one by the name of Dennis Roy Yancey, who was seen in one of the tapes strangling a woman by the name of Marie Parker to death. The other was his daughter, Jesse. Quick side note. Jesse, his daughter actually tried to warn the FBI about what he was up to back in 1986. FBI agent Doug Belden recalled Jesse Ray's claim, stating she alleged that David Parker Ray was abducting and torturing women and selling them to buyers in Mexico. The allegations were so nonspecific that the FBI couldn't act against Ray. At some point, Jesse just decided to join her father in the kidnapping and torturing of women. So she tried to warn them. She tried to warn them and said, well, if I can't get him, if I can't beat him, I'll just join That's him. That's exactly what she said. Because they That's went out so and talked stupid. to David Parker Ray and um, talked to him and interviewed him. But they had no evidence. And so, and so that, and actually after that happened, that's, that sort of bolstered his attempts thinking he's untouchable. Could she get her hands on a tape, perhaps? If he recorded all this shit, he's bound to leave it laying around somewhere. She probably could have, but I, yep. at that time, I guess she didn't think about it. Who but knows? Yeah. He thought, so at that point, she was there's like... There's always some jackass out there who thinks they're so smart. She's like, screw it, I'll just join him. All right, so now we're getting to some of the victims. So, first one was Kelly, Kelly Garrett. Now, Jesse would be responsible for drugging the drinks of women at local bars, including a friend of hers named Kelly Garrett, whom she had to run in at a bar with some mutual friends. Kelly was there with two women, Becky Smith and Cassandra Witt. Kelly was newly married, and it wasn't going well with husband Patrick. Kelly had a medical condition that made intercourse painful, but Patrick believed she was making it up as an excuse to not have sex with him. On July 24, 1996, Kelly left after they had a fight and didn't return home the next day. When she didn't come home, her husband believed she was out partying, as she had had a problem previously with drugs and alcohol before they were married. Mm. He then began to prepare to file for divorce as he had told Kelly that he couldn't be with her if she continued to engage in that lifestyle. After she left the house, Kelly had gone to her friend Becky's house to talk about another friend of theirs, Cassandra Witt. Cassandra had long been interested in Patrick and was very vocal about it. So the two of them decided to go to Cassandra's house to confront her and tell her to back the hell off. At some point, the three of them decided to go to a bar, Ricky's Lounge, and truth their consequences to talk. This is where they ran into Jesse Ray. Kelly was the DD for their group as native driver mm-hmm. as she was no longer drinking. Yep. As the night wore on, Jesse teased Kelly about not drinking. And finally she accepted a beer from Jesse. Jesse, of course, put something in her drink. Of course. Kelly began to feel lightheaded and intoxicated and believed that Cassandra had put something in her drink. She told Jesse she wanted to leave and go home. So Jesse agreed to drive her. But just before they left, 
Jesse told Kelly she wanted to stop off at her dad's, David Parker Ray's house, for coffee to sober up. Oh, brother. Now, Kelly had met Ray in the past and had no reason to be worried or fearsome of heading back there with Jesse again. When Kelly returned home, she was dropped off by David Parker Ray, barefoot, covered in bruises, and wearing the same clothes she'd left in three days earlier. When Kelly crossed the lawn to approach her husband, Patrick, who was standing on the porch, David stood by his car and listened. Patrick Murphy asked Kelly where she had been, over and over. The same question, same reply. Kelly had no memory of the past three days. Her husband thought she was lying. David approached and told Patrick he had found Kelly wandering on the beach, but didn't know much more than that. He actually took her home. Mm-hmm. And then talked to the husband. After yeah. doing all that shit, and then mm-hmm. talked to so, Oh, my Lord. what happened was, uh, we'll, we'll get to this here, but... Patrick knew she was lying. He knew she'd been out partying and probably cheating on her. He was done. He told Kelly he wanted an annulment and ordered her to get off his property, not even letting her come back inside to pack a suitcase. He filed for divorce and left, and Kelly moved to Colorado shortly after. Now, she, when she was dropped off by David Parker Ray, she had absolutely no memory of what happened the last two days that she was gone. Mm. None at all. It was complete blank. She had no idea. She would suffer from nightmares and the horrifying reality of not knowing what happened until Ray's arrest in 1999. After police were tipped off that one of the women in the tapes matched Kelly's description, including a unique tattoo, they showed her the videotape and everything came flooding back to her. Oh, Lord. How horrid. On a positive note, Patrick received a great dose of karma. So, after divorcing Kelly, he ended up with marrying Cassandra. Uh-oh. And David, being a Marine at the time... Mm-hmm. Being a Marine at the time of his, mar- of his marriage to Kelly, would end up serving a nine-month tour in Iraq. Hmm. When he came home, he discovered that Cassandra had left him and stolen all of his assets. Oh, <laughs> good. <laughs> what, a da- what a jackass. Yeah. Okay. Next one is Angelica Montano. Another victim of Ray's was Angelica Montano, who was picked up hitchhiking along the stretch of I-25 outside of TRC by an off-duty sheriff's deputy. During a two-hour drive, Montano told the deputy about how she had been kidnapped, raped, and tortured by a couple. That sucks, because I know right where that's at. Oh, do you? Yes, I do. Oh, wow. I travel I-25 all the time when I go up that way. It's a piece of history, man. After asking them to let her live on the promise that she would never tell anyone, they did just that. <laughs> we'll op- let you go, but don't say nothing. Oh, yeah, yeah sure. And, and it worked. Yes. The officer offered to take her to the police station, but she refused. She only came forward after he was arrested. Of course, because if he's not locked up, he could get to her before exactly. the police, you know, before she, they, could, you they, know. They did it once. I get it. Yeah. Terrif- completely terrified. I get it. So the victim that brought all this crashing down was Cynthia Vigil. On March 19th, 1999, David approached Cynthia Vigil after he noticed her in a parking lot soliciting business. Mm-hmm. She was a sex worker and Ray told her that she was under arrest for solicitation. He handcuffed her put her in his car, and took her to the toy box. She'd be held captive and raped and tortured for three days. On the third day, when Ray had gone to work, now Cindy was on the phone with another person and had left the handcuffed keys on a nearby table within Virgil's reach. While they normally kept their victims on a cocktail of sedatives, that day, whether forgetting to or by divine intervention, Virgil, Cynthia, was conscious and alert. She got a hold of the keys and began to unlock her chains. Cindy Handy, Sandy Handy, yep. came back in and saw her trying to escape and a fight ensued. During the fight, Cindy smashed a lamp over Cynthia's head, but that didn't stop Cindy her. Cindy and Cynthia. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> now which one's the good one? Okay, so let's do it this way. Hendy is the 
Bad one. Okay. Virgil is a good one. Gotcha. So let's do this way. During the fight, Hendy okay. smashed a lamp over Virgil's head. Sweet. But that didn't stop her. Oh, so the damn. bad one smashed the head over the lamp of the good one. Dang. Over the captive. But then, Oh, okay. So that's flipped. Yeah, but didn't didn't stop her. Didn't stop her. Virgil unlocked her chains and grabbed a nearby ice pick and stabbed Hendy in the neck and then took off. Sweet. Yeah. She's way a bad, to go. Way to go, Virgil. She's a badass. She ran out of the trailer and into the desert in nothing but an iron slave collar and padlock chains. She came to a nearby home and banged on the door, screaming for help. The homeowner took her in, covered her up, and called the police. Ray and Hendy were arrested shortly after, and police eventually picked up Dennis Yancey as their accomplice. Jesse Ray would also be picked up later. Now, the court decided to conduct three separate trials, one for each of the, of the identified victims, Kelly Garrett, Angelica Montano, and Cynthia Virgil. The first trial for the crimes against Virgil, oh, I keep saying Virgil, it's Vigil. The first trial for the crimes against Vigil ended in a mistrial, but it was retried, and Ray would be convicted of 12 counts against him. Unfortunately, Angel- Angelica Montano died before her trial. Oh, man. I know. But the next trial for the crimes against Garrett. She died from injuries or some other cause? It didn't, I mean, it didn't, it didn't say. Waste, yeah. Uh, so I hope it wasn't from injuries. No, it was it was like years after, so I think it was something oh, else. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. The next trial for crimes against Garrett, Ray cut a deal with the prosecutor to keep his daughter from doing serious time. Under the terms of the deal, Jesse would serve two years and be given five years probation for her part in drugging and collecting victims. David's part of the deal, he was given 224 years in prison without the possibility of parole. Good. Dennis Yancey was convicted of second-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder in the strangling of Marie Park, his ex-girlfriend, and sentenced to two 15-year terms. Two f- for one strangulation? Mm-hmm. Two 15-year. they had the tape, but no body. Hendy, Cindy Hendy. See, I'm sorry. I'm, oh, go ahead. I beg your pardon. Go ahead. But when they got it on videotape, yeah. and you see faces, mm-hmm. you see the victim, right? you see the perpetrator, and you have a positive identification. I agree. Fuck evidence. I agree. Fuck further I think, evidence. I mean, I mean, well, or, I mean, it's unfortunate they got they got rid of the body, but they're trying to say, well, she could be alive and just hiding somewhere. Is that what they're trying to say? Also, uh, uh, Dennis and Cindy Hindi also uh, turned state's evidence against oh, Lord. Parker Ray. So That's bad, yeah, Ray Parker, Parker Ray, whatever his name is. Yancey, oh no, Hindi pleaded guilty to charges of kidnapping and criminal sexual penetration, and was sentenced to thirty six years in prison. Mm-hmm. Dennis Yancey was released on parole in 2011 and is a free man to this day as well, living back in truth or consequences. Mm-hmm. Cindy Handy was released on July 15th, 2019, after spending only 20 years in prison. She was, only 20? She also had a deal where she was allowed to serve two years of her parole while in prison. So when she was released, she was released free and clear. Oh, So Lord. she's out there living free and clear right now. No parole, no parole officer, nothing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, this is going to piss you off. Unfortunately, David Parker Ray never served one day in, of his prison sentence as on May 28th, 2002. Let me guess. One year after he was sentenced. Let me, let me, let me guess. Go for it. The coward killed himself before they could throw his ass in jail. No. He, okay. had, a heart, he had a heart attack. Oh, fucking good. Dead. Died at the Leah County Correctional Facility at the age of 62. Good. And that means he would, we didn't pay for, well. No, we didn't. Taxpayers didn't pay for decades of food and all this crap. But, I mean, he also didn't suffer in his own little two, those this tiny true. cell. He needed to pay for what he did. Being so. raped by other convicts. I, uh, I, I would say that he's paying for it. Yeah, yeah. Now, the FBI still believes more race victims are out there. Some of them alive, many of them murdered. 
The FBI has set up a page displaying the jewelry and clothing of items found at the address of 513 Bass Road, which is where his trailer was, mm-hmm. that they believe belong to Ray's other victims, potential clues waiting to be identified. Anyone with information about David Parker Ray or any potential victims should contact the FBI at 505-889-1300. And to support this, uh, go to streetssafenewmexico.org for more information. Cool. So that's, well, I'm glad at least they got a little info there, just yeah. in case anybody knows anything. So they're still trying, like I said, they, they think up to 60 women. They're still trying to identify women to this day. I mean, if they've got missing bodies and mm-hmm. there's families out there. He had a bunch of jewelry and other things that belong to other women in his trailers. Wow. So they're still trying to figure all that out. So, yeah, man. I mean, that's a that's he, rough. He was a, and let me tell you, there was a lot, a lot more information that was not in our topic. Um, if you want even more information, if you want to hear more of the sick, disgusting details, there's a really great documentary online mm. uh, about him. It's like, a, like an hour long. It's um, it's on a channel called Night Docs. Mm. Just go look up Night Docs on YouTube and you'll find a documentary uh, about it. He, he, guy goes into really, really good detail. Uh, there's also a couple of books written about the case as well. Go check that out. But uh, that's all we're going to get into because now we are, like I said, we are going to have um, at the end of this episode... A little uh, personal story by a man by the name of Christopher who knew yeah. Dennis Yancey. Yeah. And he's going to talk about his experiences of knowing him and what interactions he had with him. So that's exciting to see. Yep. No last names. No last names. But other than that, other than that um, I believe our next state we're going to is Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. And I'm super excited about that because we are doing a twofer on that one. Twofer. Because we have done stories on cryptids, big feats. Yep. Yes, we have. You know, the our very first episode was on the Alabama white thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we've done uh, a ton of episodes on UFOs. Yes, we have. We have never done an episode where the two meet. Nice. And so Pennsylvania is going to be discussing the Bigfoot UFO flap of 1973-1974. Very cool. Where there are several instances where people see UFOs and Bigfoots in the same location. Nice. That is pretty crazy. So I'm looking forward to that. I can't get enough of UFO stuff. I'm I gonna... can't get enough of Bigfoot stuff. So we're <laughs> we're right there. Yeah. Yes, sir. All right, man. Well, tell them uh, where they can go support us. Absolutely. Folks, if you'd like to support the show, we'd sure appreciate it. All you got to do is go to www.patreon.com forward slash state of fear. Speaking of which, I do want to give a shout Sorry. out to our newest Patreon. We just got him, oh. uh, Christopher Lucetto. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for joining us, and we hope that you enjoy the content on the Patreon. All right, bud. Well, let's let's uh, head out to Pennsylvania, shall we? On our way, man. It's a long drive from New Mexico, bud. Let's get it. All right, man. Hey, guys. Welcome to a special personal encounter. We are talking to Chris Lucetto, someone who was born and raised in Truth or Consequences and was there the year that David Ray Parker's crimes came to light. Chris, thank you for joining the show. Hey, uh, my pleasure, Chris, James. Thank you guys for letting me be part of your show and uh, really kind of share my personal story that I have that's kind of tied to the David Parker Ray. Absolutely, yeah. man. Thank you very much for taking the time. We do appreciate it. So you had mentioned that you had personal interactions with David, I'm sorry, Dennis Roy Yancey. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, I, I actually knew Roy and um, quite well, actually. Um, early on in my uh, my teenage years. Okay, so uh, tell us about that. Tell us um, about him and oh, about your interactions, and uh, you know, just kind of go into your story. Let's hear it. 
Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, like I said, I, I, I grew up in the town of Truth Consequences. It's a small town here in New Mexico. Um, and, you know, it was roughly my freshman year, 86, 87, 1986, 1987. Um, I had just started uh, high school and, you know, I was into sports and stuff pretty much. And um, we, uh, we were getting ready to start our freshman basketball campaign and um this is kind of how i came up came to know roy so roy was about a year ahead of me he was a sophomore in high school i'm not sure if he got held behind but at the time he was a sophomore when i was a freshman and he had tried out for the jv basketball team and you know i don't know i don't know how this happened but he ended up getting dropped down to play on our C team with us um, at the freshman level. Um, I'm not sure why they didn't cut him or whatever. I mean, he wasn't very <laughs> athletic in terms of uh, um, sports. Okay. But anyway, the, they ended up putting him down, and, and that's how we got. I got to know Roy. So he started playing on our freshman basketball team, and I can tell you, man, he, he, was, he was something else. He was quite the character, um, very mischievous, um, very, he, he didn't like rules. He didn't like authority. He did not like our freshman basketball coach. I mean, he was always, um, going against everything that he ever said, you know, in terms of how we were to act on the, on the court, off the court, everything. And so, you know, Roy and I got to, um, you know, I lived about two and a half blocks away from Roy. So we were close and I didn't really know. I knew of him before I, you know, before I got, you know, we started playing basketball, but we never hung out. It wasn't until he got dropped down and we used to kind of get together like me and and some of my other teammates and friends, we would get together at my house. I had a basketball goal and stuff and we'd practice, you know, in the evenings and stuff like that and just shoot around and just, you know, just hang out. And he started showing up and hanging out with us and trying to be part of our group and stuff like that. And, you know, it was just, you know, when I think back on my interactions with Roy, you know, now as I'm older, it's like I can think back and think that this, there was something really wrong with this guy, man. I mean, he would say some things that were just kind of out of the ordinary. And, you know, of course, as kids, you, you don't think anything of it at the time and you kind of just laugh about it. You know, ah, he's just messing around. But he made some pretty unusual comments. And I can, I can say this as much. Um, when I was a freshman in high school, it was that 86, 87 year. You know, it was right around Halloween. And, you know, there were some, there were some, pretty bad threats going around at the high school in terms of um, some satanic stuff going on. Okay. And Roy was tied to that stuff. Really? Roy was tied to it. He oh, was wow. connected to it. Yeah, he was. His name came up along with some other guys um, had come up with that. And, you know, there were some notes that were left in some of the um, um, freshman female lockers saying that they were going to, you know, get them. They were going to sacrifice them on Halloween night, that they better be careful. Wow. And so the authorities took that pretty seriously. And, 
it was that night, uh, Halloween. They put they almost canceled Halloween that night, but it was a it was a pretty let's just say that people were pretty scared that year in terms of Halloween. I can remember a lot of people were afraid to go out, um, especially a lot of the the young females. Um, it wasn't good, and he was there were few other guys that were connected to some of the satanic cult that was going on and they would find stuff um at the river and stuff like satanic like the 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 what are they the the satanic sign and stuff like that yeah they would find things like that they would find chickens cut off burned all kinds of just stuff that law enforcement were finding and and so roy's name had come up that he was tied to that and so where I was going with that was one night we were playing. Um, it was it was in the fall. It was close to Halloween. Like I said, we were outside shooting baskets, and it started getting dark. And and me and a couple other guys were there, and Roy was there. And you know, obviously it got dark, and we stopped playing, and we were just kind of sitting around jawing. And next thing I know, it was kind of it was almost a full full moon that night, and. Um, as we were sitting around talking, Roy kind of was just looking up at the moon and he was just kind of staring at it, man. And, and, you know, as we were all getting ready to walk away, he, to, to go home, he kind of just looked back at it and, you know what, man, that's a good night for a sacrifice. Wow. You know, and I remember <laughs> that so vividly, so vividly, like I, that is something that sticks out with with my encounter with Roy more than anything is that he made that comment. And like I said, back then as kids, you don't think anything of it. Right. And we didn't really know that he was tied to the satanic cult kind of stuff or into that stuff Mm -hmm. during the basketball season. So again, this, all this stuff that was, they didn't know who was, who, who the kids were that were leaving all these notes around and stuff like that. It wasn't until after the fact, and Roy got kicked off of our basketball team eventually because, you know, he just didn't really like authority, and and he had no discipline, and he got kicked off our team, but it was shortly after that that his name started getting linked to some of the stuff that was tied to, you know, the threats that were being made to some of the girls and the lockers, the notes being left in the locker room, in their lockers. Um, But that night, man, more than anything, is just one of the most, things that I remember about Roy is just how, and it wasn't like a joking Chris and James. I mean, it, you know, it, when I look back on that night, his face, I can remember it. I can remember that those words. I mean, I, he was serious. Like there was this darkness in his eyes. Yeah. That definitely, uh, that's definitely you know how, a red light. <laughs> Golly, yeah. Man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that, there was some blackness in his eyes. Like, there was, there was something there at that time. And, and again, as kids, you don't think anything of it at the time, right? It's like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever, whatever. But now, man, um, and then when all this stuff happened some years later, almost, you know, 20, what, 12 years later, 14 years later after we got out of high school, you know, something like that, he when I found out he was connected to this man, I was like blown away, but I wasn't surprised because even when we hung out, you know, there were a few times that, you know, we had gone to his house with him, And, you know, when you think about, um, going into his house, I, I never really 
I, I don't ever recall meeting his mom. I remember his dad, um, and I believe his dad was served in the military, so I think he was in the Navy, um, and he worked at the local bowling alley. But, you know, when you went into Roy's room one time, I remember going into his room. He had a lot of um, pornographic material, and it wasn't just like the... It was like the hard S and M kind of pornographic material that he was into. And, you know, and I know that's the stuff that David Parker Ray, you know, was really, really into. Mm -hmm. So Roy his wonderful father. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was just, it wasn't, I, I just think there's just so much, you know, and, when we would, the way he would act around just certain authority people too. Like I said, not just our coaches, but even at school, he wasn't well liked. Um, he was known as somebody that was just very disruptive in the classroom. Um, he had a very bad, bad temper, um, a very bad temper. And I know that because he often at times he would just, just, go off the deep end and he would just lay into our coach, our, our freshman coach, just cussing at him and humiliating him. It, it was, it was embarrassing. And he actually did this in some of our games on the road when we went to play other teams. Wow. Um, he had some outbursts on the bench and it was embarrassing, man. And, you know, I just, I don't know, you know, Roy just, I, he just started hanging out with us and, you know, my mom really didn't like him from the moment that she kind of seen he was hanging out with us, and I don't blame her. And it wasn't shortly after that, you know, that, you know, I think once he got kicked off the basketball team, he just stopped hanging around us, and, you know, he really didn't want anything to do with us. I think what the only thing that was keeping us connected was that he was, he had been demoted down to the freshman team, and, he was playing basketball, so he felt that that was his only way he could connect with us. And, and once he got kicked off the team, it was like we never really seen him. I saw him at school and stuff like that every now and then. We really didn't talk, but, you know, he just um, he just kind of faded off, man. And then, um, if I remember correctly, I think he went into the mil- military, too. He served in the Navy for some time. Now, I'm not sure if yeah. he... He got discharged honorably or dishonorably, but, um, you know, that's, um, and I had seen him a few times after high school, you know, he got into some drugs and everything. He was pretty involved in drugs, but, you know, to know that he eventually was an accomplice to, to David Parker Ray was kind of mind blowing, man. And just, um, a little scary in the sense that I knew this guy and I hung out with him, you know, it's like, wow, like. Yeah, it's it's one thing. It's a little scary, like you just don't know the people. Right. It, it's one thing to hear about these people from a distance, but it's another thing to know that you were um, even like once removed, uh, connected to these people, and that they were in your hometown. That's that's a whole different type of scary. And you never know what's in somebody's heart. I mean, you think you know people a lot of times, but they're out there, man. Now let me ask so, you this, uh, Chris. You yeah. You uh you knew uh, Dennis, but. He he was convicted of strangling his ex girlfriend Marie Parker. Did you know Marie? I didn't know Marie. 
I didn't know her. I didn't know her. Um, I'm not sure. Um, she didn't go to school with us. That's for sure. So I don't know if she was, um, she had moved into Tiercy later on, you know, I mean, Tiercy's, um, you know, we, we have our, our, um, I guess, you know, our people that come in and out of town, you know, you have your drifters, whatever, or you have, you know, some of the homeless people who show up and, you know, just, I, Tiercy has had a bad drug problem in the past and still yeah. does, I believe. But, um, you know, I think it just, uh, I, I didn't know his ex-girlfriend, but again, I wasn't surprised to know that, um, he was convicted for, you know, murdering her. You know, I know he strangled her and, and it just doesn't surprise me because again, when I think back on some of the stuff that he was doing to, you know, the satanic stuff. Um, and you know, even some of the music he listened to was pretty hardcore man at that time in the eighties. Mm-hmm. I mean, he listened to some pretty, pretty heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. Yeah. Now, and he just, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're fine. I, I do want to, um, be, before, before we let you go, I want to get into real quick. You had mentioned offline that you had a relative that worked with David Parker Ray. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was my, uh, my, um, my cousin actually, he, um, he's my first cousin. He was actually in law enforcement. Um, he was, he's retired now, but he actually, um, he was working as a state park ranger at the time there at Elton Peak State Park. And yeah, he, he worked with David Parker Ray, you know, Parker Ray was a maintenance guy there at the, at the state parks. And, you know, I mean, they were just, they were just blown away when they found out that what this guy had done. I mean, he, he showed up to work every day on time. He was always reliable. He was polite as could be. They said never, they never would have thought in a thousand years that this guy was a serial killer man and was doing some sadistic things and torturing women um, horribly, horribly. So that's interesting that David, you know, and, David Parker Ray, the mastermind, didn't give off those vibes to coworkers, but you definitely got that vibe from Dennis Roy Yancey from a young age. It's very interesting that the the two oh yeah yeah you know, yeah, so you know like that. That, that, which is interesting yeah it is you're absolutely right chris i mean it's just it, you saying that like you know hearing my cousin talk about how they worked with david parker ray every day and they never got those vibes of him being kind of you know he kind of kept to himself but he was always polite like i said always reliable always showed up to work was the kind of guy that you know would be there in the morning and you kind of say, Hey, what's up or whatever. Um, but Roy, you know, Roy just, there was something always there, something, you know, just didn't settle right with, with me and some of the other guys that played on our basketball team, but you know, we wanted them to be feel part of the team and we welcomed them. We tried to welcome them as part of our team, Yeah. but it just never went well. You know, it just never went well from that point on. And, and, um, you know, it's a little, little scary. I think James, you, you kind of mentioned, earlier you know you just you just don't know right you think you know people but you you really don't don't. know the people behind 
they do. You're absolutely right. And I think that's, that's kind of like Roy, you know, I think he kind of, you know, after, after high school, he kind of just kind of laid low and, you know, I believe he did his, like I said, his time in the military and, yep. you know, he kind of came back to town and, you know, he got hung up with this guy and, you know, before you know, it, he's doing some pretty bad things. And, and I can say like, you know, in terms of just, again, the feeling that I know now of, of Roy, you know, it's, it's much different than what it was when I was, you know, 14 at that time, you know, 15, yeah. you know, it's just, it's a nearly feeling knowing that I, I knew this guy and I hung out with him for a short while and he made some comments that are a little unsettling as I'm, as I'm yeah. older and look back on the stuff. Just like, yeah. man, that's a little scary, dude. Yeah, I mean, what would 14. this guy have done? Yeah, when you're 14, you don't think about stuff like that, you know? That you're just like, this, yeah. guy, this dude's crazy, you know? but you're like, oh well, yeah. Yeah, you just kind of brush him off, but yeah. I mean, geez, exactly. geez, man, I think back of it now, like, dude, what, what if, what if I had been just hanging out with him one night by myself and I set him off the wrong way? What would he have done to me? Right. You yeah. know, he he was a little older than me. He wasn't he wasn't bigger than me, but he was older than me. And, you know, by an age or so, but I mean, what he, he could have done stuff to me, you know, I mean, or, or any of us. And it's just, it's just a little scary. And yeah. you know what? I think in the end that makes this even a little more fascinating about David Parker Ray and just how, you know, I, I feel like he flies under the radar when you talk about, you know, um, serial pillars, in the U S and some, mm-hmm. there's been some bad ones. You guys know that. I mean, you guys have covered some, you know, and you, you think about the patterns mm-hmm. that these guys do, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, um, Gacy, yeah. they all had patterns, right. And even yeah. uh, Bundy, they had patterns in terms of how they got their victims, which was scary. But what was scary about David Parker Ray is that, you know, Gacy and, and Dahmer and, and, and Bundy, these guys were doing it by themselves. He had accomplices, yeah, mm-hmm. which was even more scary. Right. You know, he had accomplices helping him with this stuff, and, and Roy was right there, man. And, you know, the picture I remember, too, and it's still, I think, floating on the Internet. You can see his image when he got arrested, and he's in the orange uh, detention suit, you know, uh, jail suit. But those eyes in that picture that I see with Roy yeah. in that picture, when he's handcuffed in that orange jumpsuit are the same eyes that night when he said tonight's a good night for a sacrifice. Wow. That you is, know, those are like the same dark eyes, which creeps crazy. me out, man. Yeah. That's creepy. Yeah. That is, that is crazy, crazy. Well, look, man, thank you so much for coming on the show and telling us your story. Um, I was absolutely enthralled, and I was on the edge of my seat the entire time you, you were talking. That is nuts. And like I said, we, we sincerely appreciate you taking the time. Hey, it's my, it's my treat. You guys are awesome. I've, I'm hooked on your show. Um, I'm a big fan of you guys now. And to say that I'm now been been on your podcast, man. I'm I, I mean I'm I'm the one that feels honored. So thank you guys for for giving me the time to kind of just share my story. 
Absolutely. And we want to quick, uh, quickly say thank you because I did get notification that you have become our newest Patreon. So thank you for that, sir. I hope that Absolutely, you enjoy man. the uh, content on there. There's more to come. Um, again, this was a very special uh, personal encounter by Mr. Christopher Lucetto, um, who knew David Roy Yancey.